In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are in week four of our Lenten series on race and repentance. Week one was talking about sin as injustice, not just personal offense. Week two is talking about sin as systemic, not just individual. Week three, we preached about how the gospel is good news because it brings justice and reconciliation into real-world issues. And week four is about how we reckon with wrong with the gospel. The gospel includes corporate solidarity. The gospel includes one person, Jesus, taking responsibility for a people, a story, and in taking responsibility, identifies with that story, that history, and then brings justice and reconciliation in that story through himself. 2021 America, I want to submit to you today, we have a hard time owning our junk. <laughs> uh, not, not just our own junk, like, hey, I was mean to my kids today, or I went three miles over the speed limit to get to church. But uh, uh, the things that are done far away from us or, or things that were done before us, some pretty jacked up stuff has happened in our country's history. Um, but it's hard to know how to reckon with it today. Oftentimes we'll look to uh, distance ourselves from things that were done in the past or deny that the things in the past are really a problem today. When, the things, when things bubble up and happen in our culture, we say, this isn't who we really are. What, what happened isn't really who we are. We need to get back to who we really are. What made, what made us great in the past, we're better than this. There's a lot of distancing, denial, uh, no pun intended, whitewashing. But today, our texts from the lectionary show a different way to deal with the uncomfortable bits of our past. In Nehemiah, in Acts, in the Gospels, we see individuals take responsibility for sin they themselves did not personally commit. That's... Uh, that's what we mean by the big word, corporate solidarity. Corporate solidarity is the one standing with the many in order to take responsibility for the many so that the one and the many can be healed together. In Nehemiah, walls are built. In Acts, salvation breaks out. In the Gospels, an entire people's history finds justice and reconciliation. The good news today, table, is that the kingdom of God doesn't deal with sin and evil by sweeping it under the rug through denial and distancing. But in Jesus, today, our sin is reckoned with through corporate solidarity. He entered a story to redeem a people by claiming their sin as his own. Let us face and own our own stories in the power of Christ today. This is how the kingdom of God works for reconciliation and justice. Real quick, just to, just to set these up, 
I'm going to set up our three passages quickly. Then I'm going to move to present day, how we see some of this distancing and denial. And I'm going to talk a little bit about our history and how we can reckon with it. Nehemiah takes place as a, like a memoir of this person, Nehemiah, who is a, a Jew in Babylonian exile. He's a high official in the Persian court. And he hears what's happening back in Jerusalem about these Jews. They don't have walls to protect them, so they're in trouble. And he says in verse 4, when I heard this news, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before God of heaven. I said, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, you are the one who keeps covenant and is truly faithful to those who love you and keep your commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I now pray before you night and day for your servants, the people of Israel. And then this is it. I confess the sins of the people of Israel, which we have committed against you. Nehemiah is in Persia. This is decades after the exile. Nehemiah didn't do any of the sins that led to exile. But Nehemiah knows if we are going to work for justice and reconciliation, redemption in Israel's story, somebody has to take responsibility for this mess. So he confesses sin on behalf of those he's never met who are long past dead. He corporately identifies with the people of Israel and thus understands that he has a responsibility outside of just himself. We could talk about the suffering servant in Isaiah here too, but our sermons are 20 minutes, not 120. So let's keep moving. <laughs> in Acts 2, Peter's preaching on Pentecost. Many Jews are gathered in Pentecost for, for this feast. This is 49 days after Jesus rose from the grave, 51 days after Jesus had died. Some Jews in the crowds on the day he was crucified shouted, crucify him. Remember, this is in the Gospels. But this is a new crowd. They hadn't been hanging out for six and a half, seven weeks in the same place. A new crowd had gathered. We can assume some people maybe were crossovers from the previous time. But some new people too. Peter, though, addresses them and says, you crucified Jesus. And notice they don't say, I wasn't there. Or, yes, I know some of us did, but really that's not who the Jewish people are. Or why do you keep bringing this up? If we're ever going to move on and heal, we have to get past this crucifixion thing. None of them say that. What do they say? We're told they're cut to the heart. When Peter ascribes communal guilt to them for something some of them didn't do, they accept it. They repent. They understand guilt isn't just individual, but they are a part of a larger people. And they bear responsibility to those people. They're identified with them corporately. Corporate solidarity. And then the Gospels, the story of Jesus. We read today his baptism and his wilderness temptations. Matthew's Gospel is particularly interested in this. Jesus goes to Egypt, just like Israel went to Egypt. Jesus comes out of Egypt, just like Israel came out of Egypt. Jesus is baptized, and he's proclaimed to be the son, which was Israel's designation in the Old Testament. And now Jesus, as this individual, is, is becoming sort of this, um, uh, this representative of this corporate people of Israel. And then Jesus goes out in the wilderness. He redoes the 40 years in the wilderness with 40 days in the wilderness. You see this pattern? And if I had more time, we could talk more about this. 
Jesus is re-entering Israel's story and recapitulating it. He's retelling it. He's redoing it. Notice this, friends. When God wants to save Israel, he moves towards them to identify with them even their worst bits. And then his crucifixion is for them as well. He doesn't distance or deflect. God says, all your sin is mine. The only way to bring justice and reconciliation to these people is to stand with them in their corporate guilt. This is the logic of the incarnation. This is the logic of atonement. The good news, friends, of the kingdom of God is that sin and evil isn't dealt with by sweeping it under the rug or denial and distancing. But Jesus shows us today that sin is dealt with, evil is dealt with through corporate solidarity by the one entering a story to redeem a people by claiming their story as his own. Friends, let us follow Jesus today. Let us face and own our own American story. In the power of Christ today, let's stand with corporate, in corporate solidarity and work for reconciliation and justice. But this is good news for us because this isn't how we normally handle injustice and sin, even our own, let alone things we haven't done or that happened in the past. Just this week, some of you may have seen this. The, um, it's, it's tournament season for basketball teams. Uh, Indiana high school basketball and, you know, uh, Indiana's hosting the uh, March Madness tournament for college basketball, men's college basketball. Well, a girls basketball game in Oklahoma this week, an announcer who was announcing the game was heard making uh, racist comments during the national anthem while he thought the broadcast, broadcast stream was on a commercial break. Anybody, anybody see this story? Anybody hear about this? In the video, you see the court and you see one team lock arms and kneel as the national anthem begins. And the announcer can be heard on the video saying, language warning here, they're kneeling, F word, N word. I hope Norman gets their bleep kicked. Bleep them. I hope they lose. They're going to kneel like that? Hell no. When confronted with what he said, the announcer initially denied it was him. Then when his co-partner, his partner announcing the game, took all the flack for it, he released this statement. I just, I just need some space to read this statement so we can sit and how we get some of this stuff wrong. During the Norman High School girls basketball game against Midwest City, I made inappropriate and racist comments, believing that the microphone was off. <laughs> However, let me state immediately that this is no excuse. Such comments should not ever have been uttered. I am a family man. I am married, have two children, and at one time was a youth pastor. I continue to be a member of a Baptist church. 
I have not only embarrassed and disappointed myself, I have embarrassed and disappointed my family and friends. I will state that I suffer type 1 diabetes. And during the game, my sugar was spiking. While not excusing my remarks, it is not unusual when my sugar spikes that I become disoriented and often say things that are not appropriate as well as hurtful. I do not believe that I would have made such horrible statements <clears throat> absent my sugar spiking. During this time, I was with a colleague and friend. He mentions this person and says he does not share blame. Then he says this, while the comments I made would certainly seem to indicate that I am a racist, I am not. I have never considered myself to be racist and in short, cannot explain why I made those comments. I offer my most sincere apologies for the inappropriate comments made, and I hope that I can obtain forgiveness. I specifically apologize to the Norman High School girls basketball team, their families, their coaches, and the entire school system. Additionally, I offer my apologies to the Oklahoma State Association and this network that he's on. I further apologize to all involved in the situation and simply to the entire sports community. All right. I want to say right up front that I think this sportscaster is all of us. So as we read, as I read what's wrong with this apology, let us search our own hearts rather than think about how, what a jerk this guy is, okay? Because I'm gonna turn this to our country as well. Notice that he first mentions not the young women that he was insulting. He first mentions his family and friends. He's apologizing for their sake, not for the black and white teenage girls that he verbally attacked. He's sorry for how this has hurt other white people, not the black people who hurt it or who he was addressing. Second, he plays his Christian card. Did you guys hear that? He's a former youth pastor, still a member of the Baptist church. I'm a good guy, really is not the way you frame an apology. That's not the way we apologize, church. Third, notice he blames his diabetes for his racism. <laughs> Setting aside the fact that he knew he was going to announce an entire basketball game somehow with sugar spiking. I'm, I'm sorry if this is the first you've ever heard this, but let me just state categorically, Diabetes does not cause racism or racist language. Fourth, he says that his racist language does not indicate he's a racist. I have never considered myself a racist. Friends, most racists don't consider themselves racist. <laughs> That's just how racism works. Finally, or fifth, he apologizes to the team he was talking about. And sixth, he says, I must take responsibility for my words and actions. We don't know how to take responsibility for the things we've done. We just don't know. This guy is doing as, he's sincere. He's doing as, the best he can. I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm not trying to crucify this guy or scapegoat him. I think he really sincerely is trying to reckon with what he's done, but we just have no idea how to do it. 
We defend and deflect. We distance. We blame. We, we, we show our, our resume, even as we're saying, I did something wrong. We, we don't actually deal with the people we've wronged. We, we try to maintain our capital with power and social standing with the people who matter to us. So how do we deal with evil? How do we take responsibility for what we've done? Well, let me tell you a little story about a country called Germany. Germany now has the fourth largest economy in the world. And in the BBC poll in 2014, <clears throat> it ranked the first in popularity in the EU. With 60% of the international community thinking about Germany as positive. This is the same Germany that 80 years ago murdered 11 million Jews, Poles, Russians, Roma, homosexuals, Catholics, and others. More than 7 million Germans lost their lives in World War II. The population of Cologne itself dropped from 720,000 to 33,000 people. Nazi Germany was pretty bad. So how does a country who 80 years ago contributed to over 25 million people dying in the world today become the most well-regarded member of the European Union? How does that happen? Did we just forget about it? Did we just sweep it under the rug? Well, after the war, the answer is no. <laughs> Listen up. This is so cool. After the war, there was a collective trauma in Germany. Uh, the international, um, international scene ostracized them. People lived in sort of the silent denial. There was embarrassment and remorse and shame. It typified much of Germany after, after World War II. But a, but a Christian man named Konrad Adenauer became the chancellor right after World War II in West Germany, and he led the efforts to reconcile. In 1951, he began negotiations with Israel for reparations. Adenauer said Germany had a debt to pay. Listen to this quote. Unspeakable crimes have been committed in the name of the German people, calling for moral and material indemnity. His government was prepared to offer a quote, a solution of the material indemnity problem, thus easing the way to the spiritual settlement, settlement of infinite suffering. So Germany began paying reparations to Jewish people in 1953, and, it, and they ended in 1965 towards the country of Israel, and then uh, reparational payments to families impacted by by the extermination of the Jews, the Holocaust, they continue to this day. Listen to this. As of the end of 2008, Germany had provided 66 billion euros in total reparations. Money went to resettle Holocaust survivors and to build Israel's infrastructure. A lot of Israel's social uh, infrastructure has been built by Germany's money.
Nearly every conceivable dimension of political and social relations was engaged in this bilateral connection between West Germany and Israel. Adenauer also initiated similar reconciliation reparation payments with France, Poland, Czechoslovakia. Later politicians, after Adenauer, after the generation that lived through World War II, made it explicit that, quote, listen to this, no German is free no German is free of our history. The cornerstone, perhaps the very definition of German's foreign policy after World War II became reconciliation. So there's no monument to Nazi Germany left. There's no, there's no statue of Hitler in Germany. They're not really concerned about forgetting Nazi Germany because every day they're repenting of Nazi Germany. Concentration camps turned, are turned into museums and teaching tools and visible representations of atrocity. In Berlin, there are countless physical reminders such as words engraved in cobblestones that mark the arrest of Jews or where families lived before they were pushed out by the Third Reich. A researcher who researched this says, quote, it's an ongoing process and it will never end. That's why today you have young Germans with absolutely no relationship to what happened in World War II willing to volunteer in countries seen as victims of the Nazis. Every year, what reconciliation means might change, but it's open-ended. Every new generation has to deal with this. There are still commissions monitoring the language used in German textbooks, unfinished compensation issues, and attempts to reclaim art seized by the Nazis. This is the reason Germany is well-respected in the EU, because they've decided to take responsibility for things that they did not do, because their people did them, and they still matter today. No German is free of our history. The good news is that the kingdom of God is like this. It doesn't deal with sin and evil by distancing and dismissing and denying, sweeping it under the rug, moving on. We gotta stop talking about the past if we're ever gonna heal from it. But today, in Jesus, our sin is reckoned with because he decided, God himself entered our story to redeem a people, to claim responsibility for sin that he did not perpetuate or do. Let us face and own our American story in the power of Christ today. Let me compare and contrast. I know I'm going over. Let me compare and contrast what Germany has done to maybe what America has done. Over the period of the Atlantic slave trade, from approximately 1526 to 1867, some 12 point million, 12.5 million slaves were shipped from Africa to the New World, and 10.7 arrived in the Americas. One out of six died on the transit. The Atlantic slave trade was likely the most costly in human life of all long distance global migrations. It's known as a middle passage. The sexes were separated, men, women, and children were kept naked, packed close together. Men were chained for long periods of time. 12 to 18% did not survive the voyage. Native persons, indigenous people, about 60 million when Columbus landed. European colonizers, killed so many indigenous Americans that the planet actually went through a mini ice age. 
The population decreased so suddenly, so rapidly, that the planet cooled. Between 1492 and 1600, that's a little more than 100 years, 90% of the indigenous populations in the Americas died. That's nearly 55 million people in 100 years. 55 million indigenous people killed by disease or war, the rest treated as subhuman, plus almost 13 million trafficked from Africa and enslaved, 10% of them dying in transit, plus the number of slaves born in the US, slave women had on average 9.5 babies per person. Plus the rapes, let's throw in the tortures, the black codes, Jim Crow, sundown towns. Do I need to continue? If Germany can rightfully spend decades atoning for the horrors they did to Jewish persons, can we do something similar here? So what do we do? It happened so long ago, we're a church of 100 people. None of us is the chancellor of America. None of us have 66 billion euros, although if you do talk to me, we have some budget shortcuts we could. Well, here's what we do. And this is what I'm trying to do today. And it's uncomfortable. We have to stop distancing ourselves from our history. This is who we are. So when we, when we say uh, F word, N word, we don't say, that's not who I am. We say, I guess that's really who I am. I guess that is me. I've been telling myself that isn't me. And I hate to say it is me, but it really probably is. Otherwise, why did I say it? We tell the truth about it. So we confess. We say, this is awful. And we, we feel it. We lament. I mean, that's what Lent is for. We don't point to our good to cover up our bad. Yes. The American democracy has done a lot of good things, but it doesn't do good work to bring that up in a conversation about our wrong. If we're dealing with a married couple and the husband has been abusing the wife for 40 years with no repercussions, and we're trying to reckon with what does justice look like, and I in this conversation say, but he pays his taxes. What am I doing? That doesn't do good work in that conversation. Great, I'm glad he pays his taxes. But oh, dear Lord, let's not deflect away from justice and reconciliation. Let's not just have words, but actions. I mean, 66 billion euros is materially repairing things. It's not a plaque and a speech. Those are important too. Let's make speeches and build plaques, but, but it's also, we're gonna build your roads in your country where we're gonna help resettle the people whose families we murdered. That goes a long way. So what I'm saying is, friends, not to valorize Germany, but let's follow Nehemiah and the Jews and Pentecost and Jesus. Let's take responsibility for the story we're a part of. Because this is the good news, the kingdom of God. The kingdom doesn't deal with sin and evil by sweeping it under the rug through denial and distancing. But Jesus reckons with sin through corporate solidarity. 
He answered, he enters the story, Israel's story, to redeem the people of Israel by claiming their sin as his own. So let's let's take let's take up our cross and follow Jesus. Today, facing and owning our story. This is how the kingdom of God works for reconciliation and justice. Today, the prayer of response is simply lament. We're not looking to raise 66 billion euros. We got to start by just telling the truth, don't we? And just letting it sit in our bodies for just a few moments. So today we're going to lament. I invite you to name what needs to be lamented so we can begin to work for justice and reconciliation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.